celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, what I want to do is I want to start by taking us uh, from the cross. And we're going we're gonna to build out this thought. We're going to go from the cross to the ascension. So on Friday, he was crucified. He was hung on a cross. And um, if you're here for Good Friday, we, we talked about that and what that day entailed for our Lord. It was good for us, but it was bad for him. Right. And so around 3 p.m., um, he, he gave up his spirit. And the Bible teaches that Jesus died, the sinless Lamb of God, the, the Lamb of God who takes away all the sins of the world. His work was finished on the cross for you and I. His blood was shed. And then, um, so Mary and a few of the disciples, Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, they were present at the crucifixion. The, the disciple John was there. A guy named Joseph from a town called Arimathea, he was a wealthy man. He requested the body of Jesus from the authorities. They approved him to take the body and he took the body and he had just bought a brand new tomb so it was joseph's tomb but jesus borrowed it for a few days took a nap and um so <laughs> they wrapped him that's good news they wrapped him in linen and joseph and his assistants put jesus in that tomb and um so we call saturday silent saturday um, because nothing happened the women bought spices and herbs and ointment to anoint his body on Friday night, but the Sabbath had kicked in, so they couldn't do any work on Saturday. So they went home, they grieved. And then early Sunday morning, uh, Mary, his mother, along with a few other women went to the, why well, it's always the ladies doing it first. Come on now, ladies, where y'all at? The ladies, first conference and everything. Right? I keep getting texts and emails. The men want to do something. We, I got something for you. Just hang tight. Come on. I got something for you. And um, anyway, where was I? Oh, so yeah. So he, um, he, he wasn't there. They arrived at the tomb. The stone was rolled away. And his body was not laying down on that slab of rock. And this, this stone was about two tons. So it took four or five men to move it. None of the Roman guards were there. They were like, so, some, some depictions say that they were asleep. They were knocked out or they had ran. But at any rate, when the women arrived, there were two angels kind of chilling. And the Bible says that they had on dazzling robes. And I've been kind of kind of playing around a little bit with that. What kind of brand is that? Dazzling robes. So they, they, they was looking good. And they said, look, um, he is not here. And they asked him, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? Come on. He, is, he is risen. He is not here. And so he would appear to them. He would appear to all of them. And for 40 days, he stayed on the earth in his resurrected form. They could feel his body. They could feel the holes in his hands. They could see him. They ate. As a matter of fact, the first thing Jesus did after he rose was he ate because he was hungry. He went to the beach. He had some fish and some honey and some grits. I don't know about the grits, but he ate. <laughs> And then he had a good old time for about a month and a half. And then he gave what is called the Great Commission. Someone say commission. commission. So he gave this calling to the church to spread the good news about who he was across the world. And he said, go and make disciples to the utter ends of the earth. So this is why we sit in this room 2,000 years after the resurrection. Because the church has always advanced in every generation. And it's historically proven that he resurrected. So after the Great Commission, the Bible says that he stood there and he began to rise. He ascended on a cloud into heaven. 
And the last time human eyes saw Jesus Christ was when he was raising up, ascending into heaven to sit on the right hand of his father. And so when you read about the gospels, the word gospel means good news. There are four accounts in the Bible of the life of Jesus Christ. So if you're new to church, if you're new to the things of God, if you're new to the Bible, um, this is going to be a very simple, understandable message for you. If you're a seasoned Christian and you've been in church and you've heard a million Easter messages, I want to tell you that the Easter message has ended. I just preached the Easter message. We're going to come from a different angle this Easter. God has given me some fresh bread, some fresh revelation for you. So this is going to be a great message for you as well. But the typical, you know, he died, he rose and all that. Nah, I want to put some flavor on it a little bit today. And so you find this common thread across the four gospels. Someone say thread. And within that thread, there are three knots in that thread in the life of Jesus. And here are the knots. Number one, Jesus lived. Number two, Jesus died. And that third knot is that Jesus rose. All right. And all of that is great. Now, um, if you've been alive for any amount of time, if you've ever lost a loved one, if you've observed humans, if you've read the Bible, if you've just looked out into the world, if you've watched the news, you can contrast the thread of the life of Christ with the thread of the human experience, our, our existence. And here's the deal. We live... We die, but very few people understand this about their existence. We will also rise. Yes. This is what the word of God teaches. This is not my opinion. This is what the Lord says about your existence. Your creator says that you will live because of sin. Unfortunately, you will die. And then you will rise. Easter is all about making sure when you rise that you go to the better place, not the worst place. And that's the purpose of him rising is so that not just Easter is, is, is about Christ, but it's for you so that you would rise and spend eternity in heaven with your father. Now, John was a disciple of the Lord. And if you read John's account, of the gospel, um, you'll see that he's a little emphatic about just how much Jesus loved him. There's even a a story in the narrative of John's writing where um, when the women came back to where they were crying because Jesus had passed away, the Bible says, John is so funny, John says that Peter started out first, and then he says the disciple that Jesus loves (laughs) beat him to the tomb. And so he was very competitive. So when you get to heaven, give John a high five because he's awesome. If you wrote a gospel, you would be the same way. You would say, Jesus loved me the most. So it says this here, John chapter 21, verse 24. This disciple, talking about himself, is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. What John is saying is that I saw him. I lived with him for three years. 
I taught with him. I healed with him. I traveled with him. I slept in the same inns that he slept in. I ate with him. I had stomach aches when he was around. Like, Lord, I can't make this trip. Can you please heal my stomach? He said, I've lived the life with Jesus Christ. He says, I've witnessed these things. Jesus also did many other things. Here it is. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So when Jesus was alive, he, he healed the sick. He casted out demons. He, he raised the dead. And what John is saying is that the world doesn't have enough, enough room to contain the books that if they were written about what Christ did. So he lived, he died. But this is my thought, and I think we would all agree. He did a lot of great things. But all of them pale in comparison to the resurrection. Wouldn't we say that that's the big one? That's right. He rose from the dead. And that's the emphasis of today is that he rose. That's why we're here today. That's why John died for Christ. That's why Peter was put on a cross upside down. These are real men and, and women who live. That's why Paul got his head cut off for his testimony about Jesus. That's why we're in this room today. It's because he rose. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'd rather put my faith in a leader of a faith that has risen, not in one where we can find their grave. We know where Muhammad is. We know where Buddha is. We can't find the body of Jesus because he's not here. He has risen. So three points today, okay? Let's contrast. Jesus lived. We live. We live. And I've come to find out that life is a big opportunity, if you're taking notes. Life is a big opportunity. We have free will. We can do whatever we want. And throughout the course of life, you're going to be presented with okay opportunities, poor opportunities, great opportunities. You got to be careful when it comes to good opportunities because good opportunities aren't always God opportunities. And I think that's a lot of the tension and rub that a lot of us are currently facing in life. I believe we're living as a result of the opportunities that we said yes to or that we latched on in the past. And we often find ourselves in seasons that we don't like that we're in. And so just understand that life is this big old opportunity. And so anyone got a bucket list? Show of hands. Don't be afraid. Show of hands. You got a bucket list? Have you been able to experience a few of those things on that bucket list? That's cool. That is awesome. I don't have a bucket list, but I do keep a list of some cool opportunities that the Lord has opened doors for. Um, When I was 10 years old, I was a fan of Michael Jordan. Jordan was the man. We're not going to have the goat debate. And it's certainly not LeBron. Please don't leave church. Don't leave church, okay? So Jordan was my favorite player. So at 10 years old, my dad took me to an Orlando Magic game versus Chicago Bulls because we're from Florida. Jordan was wearing 45. So he, he, he had lost a step, you know what I mean? He wasn't, he wasn't 23, he wasn't MJ. The Bulls lost, I was sad about that, but I was in the same building as Michael Jordan. It was amazing. My eyes were locked on Jordan every time, how he walked, how he talked, when he bent over, when he wiped his sweat, when he squeezed that bottle. I'm like, oh my God, that's Michael Jordan. He wearing the J's, he wearing the J's. Oh my God, I want them. And so anyway, and so eight years later, my best friend, 
took me to another game because I had a brand new favorite player. If you're a Jordan fan, it's only natural that after he retires, you become a Kobe fan because Kobe was just Jordan, but with a fro. All right. And so they played alike. They were the same. And I remember Dwight Howard played for the Magic at this time. I remember he was coming off a of screen. Kobe, num- this was number eight, Kobe. Shaq had just left, so Kobe didn't care. He came off this screen, this pick and roll. He went through the legs. And Dwight's like, oh, my God, my life. Kobe like, yeah, this is about to happen. And bam, he just... Looked at him, and and so the Lakers won. That was awesome. And as I've journeyed through my life, before I became a pastor, I wanted to go into medicine. And I've been in in surgery with some of the nation's greatest surgeons, removing cysts and and, and heart surgeries and and, uh, intravenous uh, surgeries. I've seen people cut wide open. I've seen lives saved physically. I've, I've been over... I've been over people who have been um, under, you know, an- anesthesia, and, and that, that was always a great experience. And then, and then when I crossed over into ministry, I've had the opportunity to be in small rooms with some of my favorite pastors and preachers and communicators, and now my favorite pastor is my pastor. These are just all great opportunities. You have great opportunities. I have them. But all of those, once again, pales in comparison to this opportunity I had when I was 19 years old. And I was in my second year of undergrad, and my best friend started to attend this Bible study. And I'm like, bro, please don't change. (laughs) Not the church stuff. Don't don't change. You're so fun right now. I don't, I'll give my life to God when I'm 40, man. Don't do this to me. And so he would invite me to this Bible study. I said, like, three or four times. I said, no, I don't want to go. I'm good. I'm good. I would slam the door in his face. I would turn up my little Wayne, turn up my Jay-Z, turn up my T.I. So finally he said, come for me. And I'm like, I went in my room, got the Bible my grandma gave me before I left for college. (laughs) Say, you driving? Who driving? Let's go. (laughs) So we got there. I know that someone say real Easter. Real Y'all look good, but we're going to keep it real, right? Like, we're not going to sanitize Easter. It was bloody. It was dirty. It was sad. So we're, we're going to keep it real today when we talk about the things of God. Anyway, back to the story. So we got there, and I was impressed. Then I went a second week. Then I went a third week. Then I went a fourth week. On the fifth week, we ended up on Florida A&MU's uh, uh, campus, their English building. And so six people... We're at this Bible study. And you know how they say hindsight is 2020? I was thinking about this in preparation of this message, and it hit me. This hit me like two days ago that I saw six people at that Bible study, but there was a seventh person there that I did not see. He was not visible. It's kind of like Good Friday, right? Child, you said 14 people got saved the other night at Good Friday. Friday was electric. There was something happening in this room. It was a couple hundred people in this building. But there was another person in this building doing all the work on all the hearts. And it was miraculous. It was almost canceled Easter. Good Friday was so good. 
So I didn't even put pressure on myself for Easter to be all that good because Good Friday was amazing. If you missed it, you just wasn't there. But it was great. But I look back and I'm like, there was a seventh person in that room. Because as the pastor was teaching the Bible, it was like he knew everything about my life. He knew every struggle, every doubt, every, every you know, sin. He knew everything about my life and my heart was softening to this idea of coming to Jesus. So the Bible study ended. And the pastor got us in a circle. He said, does anyone want to come to Christ today? You want to give your life to Jesus? I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> just, just get on with it. Just pray. Oh and so they prayed. And I was like, okay, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go. And something came next to me. That seventh person I couldn't see. Because I didn't know that the Bible said whenever two or three gather, Jesus says, there I am in the midst. So I'm about to I'm get my stuff. You go give your life to me today, boy. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. Give me this. <laughs> and I said, Pastor, I want to come to Christ today. He said, that's awesome. So we went into the classroom. We prayed. I cried like a baby. And I've come to find this out, that the invitation to follow Jesus is the greatest opportunity in life. And, and within 30 seconds, y'all, one decision, one moment, everything in my life shifted and changed for the better. See, and this is the thing. You think that you got up this morning and got yourself ready and got yourself in the car. You think that you got up and decided to come to Easter. You think that you brought yourself here today. The truth is, is that God orchestrated that invite that card handout, that phone call, that text, because he's in this room right now, and he's giving you another opportunity. Another, he's saying, I love you. I got a plan for you. Give me a chance. Give me your life. He's, he's after you, and he's always after you. You're going to the gym. He's right behind you. You're in the shower. He's right there. You know, you at work. He's right there. You laying down in the bed. He's right there. And he's always inviting you to, to follow him. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Had I not given my life to Jesus that night, I don't think I would be married. I wouldn't be the father to a 14-year-old who is not biologically mine. She's been my baby since he was two. I wouldn't have my Judah. I wouldn't be nearly debt-free. Had I not made that decision 17 years ago in that small room, we wouldn't be in this room together. Had I not made that decision, I wouldn't have met Chris. And this is the way I feel about it. You know, in, in Genesis where God said, let us make man in our image and he created Adam. I feel like if I was Adam and he put me to sleep, he would have bought Kyra out of one rib. And he would have been like, man, I'm forgetting somebody. He would have formed Chris out of the other rib. Because Chris is like my right-hand guy. But I remember I made that decision. It led me back to Florida. I was the associate pastor at Altamont Springs Campus at Real Life Christian Church. Chris was campus safety. A divine moment occurred. He started to come to a Bible study off of an invite, gave his life to Jesus, and we've been rocking for almost 10 years. And now we're changing the world together. When I tell you that the invitation to follow Jesus is the greatest opportunity in life, it is. 
And, and this has nothing to do with being a member of a church or saying you're a Christian. Christians weren't called Christians for decades. They were called the way. Yeah. This is about a relationship with you Amen. and the Lord. Number two, we die. Let's take a little dip, then we'll pull you up at the end. We die. A couple months ago, I was on the phone with my father. My father is 86 years old. And he's, I am the baby of 24. And he's owned homes. He has had every car that you could ever want. Um, 24 kids. That explains other things. And so, <laughs> it's 11. This is my third rodeo. Um, he hasn't, he has, he's had it all. So I was on the phone with him the other day, and he's relatively well, but he's starting to feel this pull to leave this life. And he said, son, this world has nothing else to offer me. And he said, all my life, I've made reservations for birthday parties, for dinners, for surprise parties, for trips, for vacations. And he said, I wonder this. I'm starting to wonder. We make all these reservations in this life for temporary things. He said, I don't know if people are making reservations for the next life. And he hit on something. He was hitting on the reality that we all die. Now, humans are amazing. We're we're great at things. Like, we've created the airplane. We've created space shuttles. All of you in here are genius. You have your own genius. You're doing great things in your life. We've created Teslas, Apple computers. We've done it all. We've done it all. But the thing that humans are best at is dying. We're the best at dying. And we will all die one day. Jesus even said it like this. He says, when I come back, they're going to be marrying, they're going to be shopping, they're going to be having fun. And before you know it, the sky is just going to open. And that's what we do in this life. We hustle, we grind, we succeed, we get the money, we accumulate, we accumulate, we accumulate. We have relationship after relationship after relationship, only to never be fulfilled. And then everything we accumulate, we die and we leave behind. So when my dad said, do we make reservations for the next life? That's one of the most important questions that you can ask yourself. The Bible says this. It says that when Adam sinned, Romans 5, verse 12, let's pull it up. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Here it is. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. And the reason why death hurts is because death was never meant to be part of the human experience. It hurts. Death is common, but catch this, it is not normal. Death is not normal. It's common because we die, but it is not normal. If you would go back to Genesis 1, the law of first first mentions. Someone say first mentions. When you're studying the Bible, if you ever want to know the heart of God for about something, about you, about something, you have to go to Genesis You'll see the heart of God, the love of God, the plan of God right there in Genesis. And it says this. He said, let us create man in our image. Let us create male and female in our image. 
He was talking to himself, but there are three expressions of himself. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God is three in one, just like me, Joshua, father, pastor, husband. God is three functions, but he's one person. So he said, let us make man in our image, okay? So when he created them, he said this, be fruitful, multiply, and reign. Now riddle me this. Where in there does he mention death? Nowhere. Because another part or truth about being created in the image of God is that we are eternal. We were never meant to experience death. And so it hurts and, and it's painful. This is what happens when we die. Because we are also triune. We have, here it is if you're taking notes. We, have a, we are a soul. We have a spirit. We live in a body. Because a lot of people get confused. Am I a soul or am I a spirit? I'm a spirit. No, you're not a spirit. For God formed Adam of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life, the spirit, the ruach. That is the life source. The spirit is what is keeping you alive right now. You are a soul. You have a spirit. You live in a body. So sin came in. In God's love, he pushes Adam and Eve out of the garden. He puts an angel in front of the tree of life with a waving, flaming sword to keep them away. Because after they sinned, had they bit of the tree of life, we would have been stuck in this forever. So God was still dispensing mercy and grace and goodness and forgiveness. But he said, I got to get you away from the tree of life because what you're going to try to do in order to get close to me is you're going to try to fix it. But you're the one that messed it up. So in my love, I have to find another way to fix it. And I already have a plan. His name is Jesus Christ. He's going to do all the work. He's going to die the death that you don't want to die. And he's going to bring you back to me. Now, this is what happens when we die. The spirit returns to the father. The body drops dead. And the soul does not end. The soul exits this life. And it enters into eternity. Now, this is where Jesus comes in. Jesus died to make sure that we don't enter into hell. He died so that when we put our faith in him, once we exit this body, we can enter into heaven. So back to the original thread, right? We live, we die, we rise, right? I mean, come on, this is, this is common sense, right? We, we, we exit this room into the lobby. We exit the lobby, we enter the foyer, we, we exit the foyer, we enter into the elevator. We exit the elevator, we enter outside. We exit outside, we get into our car. This isn't nothing deep. This is the reality of existence. And we are eternal. So if death is our greatest problem, then salvation is your greatest need. Not food, not money, not homes, not more sex, not more liquor. Not more weed, not a new job, not a new city, because you go everywhere with you. You got to deal with you. Your greatest need is none of that. 
Death is your greatest problem. Salvation is your greatest. Can we celebrate this? We need salvation. We need salvation. It's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. So here's the question. How do I enter heaven after I exit this life, Pastor? I want to know. What I love about God is that he's made it very clear, simple, and easy to make it into heaven. Jesus did all the work. And Jesus is not asking you to come in here with a suit on Easter, a nice dress. He's not asking you to put all that liquor and that smoke and that stuff away and all them cuss words. He doesn't want you to change yourself. All he says is have faith in me. Receive my spirit. And once you receive my spirit, I'll begin to do an incremental work, right? Because whenever we think about miracles, it's like, oh, my God, that was such a miracle. They got healed of cancer. That is amazing. But God's best miracles, his greatest work is done incrementally. I've seen some of you come in here suicidal three, four years ago. Now you're blooming with life. You're unstoppable. You got the spirit of God. You have purpose. You have freedom. You're moving forward. That is a miracle. That's a three, four, five year miracle. We got to celebrate the growth. In the incremental miracles. I love it. You got to let him do the work. Stop. I promise. You ever did that? You ever promised the Lord you wouldn't do something? That's why you're laughing. Because two hours later, you did it again. You can't do it. You need him. So how do I enter heaven once I exit this life? John 3.16, let me speed it up. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3.36, and anyone who believes in God's son, believes in God's son, has eternal life. Here it is, Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. The word saved here in the Greek is soteria. Because the New Testament was translated into Greek. And it means to be rescued out of destruction and to be placed into God's safety. So when you die by default because we're sinners and God is a holy God. If there's no Jesus in your life, when you die, you will fall into hell. But to be saved in Christ, once you confess Christ, once you die, the hand of the Lord takes your soul and he places you in heaven, in his safety. Number three, we rise. We rise. Come on, close me out, Jason. This is the thread of life. Someone say life. Life. Someone say existence. Existence. So here's the deal. God is not going to leave your body in that grave. In 2012, the matriarch of faith in our family passed away. And I was able to spend the last moments with her alone. At the time, who is my wife now, she was my girlfriend. She had just got a brand new job. She was a graduate nurse. But she risked that job, and she took half a day, and she came over to Orlando Health to be with my mother, my father, all of our family, because my grandmother had full-blown cancer. It proliferated through her body. And within hours, she went from being home and working 
to in the hospital on life support. And she was intubated, tubes, wires, bandages, tape. Her body was blown up. I had never seen my grandmother like this. But she was the matriarch of faith. She would get us to church. She would pray over us. She would read the scripture. She would encourage me when I was down. She was the only one that would celebrate the decision to become a pastor along with my wife. Everyone else wanted me to go into medicine. It's great, but when God called me, Grandma gave me a hug and a kiss. She said, baby, I knew it, always knew it, that you would be a preacher. And so no one was in the room. The Holy Spirit said, I need you to go into that room. I wanna, I wa- I'm going to take you through a little journey because I'm ready to call her home. But she's fighting. So I'm going to use you to free her. So I went into that room. My mom was done mourning over the fact that she was passing away. She was in the waiting room. I went into that room, and the first thing the Spirit said to me is, look at your grandmother. And he said, this was not my plan. This suffering, this pain, what you see is not me. I am not that kind of God. He said, now she's fighting and I'm ready to give her eternal rest. I'm ready to usher her into my presence. What I need you to do is I need you to bend down. Her face was completely dry. He said, I need you to bend down, give her a kiss. And then tell her in her ear, because I've given her the ability to hear you for the next five minutes. He said, I need you to bend down and I need you to speak to her. I need you to tell her, Grandma, we're going to be okay. You go and rest. And so I bent down, I gave her a kiss. And I said, Grandma, take your rest. We're going to be okay. And within 30 seconds of telling her that, a tear came down her face and it was tinged with blood. And then within three minutes, she flatlined. Now in the natural, I was sad. But in the spiritual, because I know the truth of God's word, that's another thing. What do you believe in? Are you jumping from philosophy to philosophy only to have no hope about your eternity? Or do you stand on the truth of God's word? That is very clear. The Bible says that when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. So I was happy in the spiritual because I knew in that moment she was doing way better than us. Because she wasn't in that bed anymore. That's right. She was at home with our Savior, celebrating, rejoicing, entering her rest. So I want to read you this verse. Let me give you a little hope. Paul says, we don't grieve like the world. We don't grieve like the world. When Christians lose, we win. Amen. So y'all go ahead and get, all the, get out everything this world has to offer. But Jesus said this, what good does it do to gain the world and lose your soul? Let's go to 1 Thessalonians. I've often told the Lord, Lord, if all the success and influence gets in the way of our relationship, I don't want it. Take it all away. I only want God. Because at the end of life, have you ever went to a funeral and seen a Penske behind 
behind the coffin or a U-Haul? You haven't. Because the only thing that we take with us is us. So really, this Easter, this message is about priority. And the priority is your soul. God can build your life up. But he, he wants to know that when you pass away, you're going to be with him. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Here it is. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then... Someone say then. Yeah. We will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other every day with these words. How was work today? Ah, it sucked. Hey, don't worry. We're going to heaven. Come on. <laughs> How was surgery? Oh, it was good. It's, I'm recovering. Good. Don't worry. We're, God's going to fix that. It won't even hurt one day. How's your money looking? Well, it's looking funny. <laughs> don't worry. One day, you got a mansion in heaven. Every need, come on, church. Every need, every need. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're just passing through this place. And I'll tell you this. We, we all have people we love. So it's important that we all get saved. So that our time together isn't just 20, 30, 40, 50 years but so that when we go to heaven, when I pass away, I can wait for a couple decades on my son, and then, hey, son, dad's here. And then the grandbabies, and then the great-grandbabies. It's a good thing, y'all. So this is the most important question in life, okay? Am I saved? This is the most important thing you can ask yourself. Or you can ask yourself in this way, will I go to heaven when I die? That's why God brought you to church today. Will I go to heaven when I die? And I want to give you that opportunity. Let's bow our heads, everybody, because I don't want to single anyone out. Am I saved? Some, will, some of you will say, Joshua, yes, I am. Some will say, I don't know. Some will say, no. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. So maybe you're saying, I want to spend eternity with my heavenly father. I want to encourage you that Jesus is the way and God is here and his arms are open. And he's ready to give you the gift of eternal life. So if that be you and you want to give your life to Jesus today, you want to place your faith in Christ on the count of three, we're not going to single you out. That's why we have our heads bowed. I just want you to raise your hand boldly and say, I'm, I'm coming to Christ today. On the count of three, one, two, 
three. Raise your hand and raise it high. Raise it high. God bless you. 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 Come on, church. Let's celebrate that big.